You're listening to the Human Rights Podcast hosted by the Irish Centre for Human Rights. This is a platform for open dialogue and debate on issues related to human rights and international law. I'm Kelsey Root, and on today's episode of the Human Rights Podcast, we will be hearing from Dr. Fernand de Varenne on why hate speech targeting of minorities must be named and emphasized. Dr. de Varenne is the UN Special Rapporteur on Minority Issues. He is also Extraordinary Professor at the Faculty of Law of the University of Pretoria in South Africa, Adjunct Professor here at the National University of Ireland Galway, and Chen Yu Tong, Visiting Professor at the Faculty of Law of the University of Hong Kong. Today, he will speak to us about the report he recently presented to the UN Human Rights Council on the topic of hate speech. This report focuses on the gaps regarding the regulation of hate speech on social media claiming that hate speech is rapidly spreading within social media where many minority groups are being targeted. With a focus on ensuring protections for human rights, the report calls for the establishment of an international regulatory framework to determine the responsibilities of states, the tech sector, and of social media networks themselves in preventing the spread of hate speech. Given the timeliness of this report, and his extensive experience in publishing and engaging internationally on issues relating to minority rights, we are delighted to have the opportunity to hear from Dr. Deveren today. Dr. Deveren, you are most welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, good morning, everyone, or rather good afternoon or good evening, depending on where you are. Bonjour. Um, first of all, I'm, of course, delighted to be back in Geneva, even if it's only online for now anyway. And uh, it's great to be invited again to be part in one of the lunchtime seminars of the Irish Center for Human Rights. Let me share with you a story. About 20 years ago, I participated as a legal expert in a meeting at the United Nations in Geneva, which at the time was on hate speech in the media. It was a general discussion. Um, but it actually did uh, look at the internet. We weren't talking about social media so much at the time, but the internet was a great new thing. At the time, myself and other experts were invited to focus on the positive, on how the internet in general was going to be the land of milk and honey for minorities and open up all kinds of communication and uh, possibilities and to share experiences and and so forth. No one seemed to notice what I would describe as the gathering dark clouds in the sky, which would eventually lead to the storm of hate, intolerance, racism, and xenophobia, which uh, came, uh, which started, would start to flood the world. No one, except a few of us, who actually came from minority backgrounds, I remember specifically speaking with another expert who's a friend from, the Balt from a Baltic country and who's, who happens to be a member of the Russian-speaking Jewish minority there. And he, he admitted that he felt he did not feel as happily exuberant as the United Nations were encouraging everyone to be. He said, and I asked him, how do you feel about this? And he said, well, I'm actually rather um, fearsome. I'm not sure, if not, not fearsome. He actually expressed that he had some very serious fear concerns about the situation. He was uncomfortable. And to put it br uh, briefly, and also perhaps in simplistic terms, 
um, he indicated that most of the people there seem to forget that one of the reasons minorities almost everywhere are more vulnerable in hostile environments is that by definition, minorities are outnumbered. And this is true also in, on the internet, in social media, as it is in other matters. And to quote from Alexis de Tocqueville uh, in his famous tri uh, treatise on democracy and America, untrammeled majority rule can easily take the shape of the tyranny of the majority. And unfortunately, what we're having now, what we're seeing now is that the largely unregulated and impunity enjoyed by the major social media platforms mean, well, quite honestly, that minorities around the world are often portrayed as scape, the scapegoats of choice. They're the targets of vet, the venom of, and hate, the scale and breadth of which we've never seen before in recent years. So um, some 20 years ago, this was not expected by most observers when perhaps naively, it was thought that the internet and its offspring, social media, would simply provide humanity with amazing opportunities for fast, inexpensive means to communicate and exchange and to support the transfer of information and provide educational opportunities across borders almost instantaneously. Well, that's not quite how it has developed. With the, um, let me make one point. The dichotomy of good and evil is old, it's ancient. It's as old as the story of the world itself. But what has occurred is its amplification and you might even say polarization. And because also, this is, has to be emphasized, the business model of platform, of social media platform owners intentionally, is intentionally directed so as to be monetized and more profitable. And there's a dark side here. The dark side of social media is now impossible to ignore because they've become the a breeding ground and propaganda vehicle for dangerous tropes, conspiracy theories, misinformation, disinformation, racism, xenophobia, and scapegoating of minorities. And what we're seeing, well, let's give examples. Examples even include a, a resurgence, resurgence of some of the crudest forms of anti-Semitic propaganda going on even all the way back to the protocols of the elders of Zion of more than a century ago. This is returning and it's being actually, um, it's actually being nurtured by some of these social media platforms in ways that we are find, find, uh, finding very difficult to control around the world. So that was my preface, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. So let's start in earnest now by looking at the main points from a more global perspective of hate speech and minorities, and especially in social media, as this was, as Siobhan has indicated, this was the thematic uh, theme, the priority, uh, or the theme of my annual report presented just a week ago last Monday to the UN Human Rights Co uh, Council. You might have seen or heard uh, that last week, I issued a, a warning that we, the international uh, community, are failing in tackling hate speech 
and that minorities are facing a tsunami of hate and xenophobia, uh, what is what I describe as a pandemic of the mind, and that the time has come for the United Nations to initiate a global process to regulate in the legally binding treaty what is a global phenomenon with social media being able to funnel, but also fan the flames of hate almost instantaneously to reach millions of people every hour of every day. Now, uh, this would provide what is clearly, in my opinion, absolutely needed guidance, clarity, and consistency by being a human rights-centered approach that would have two pillars. First of all, ensuring the proper understanding and protection of freedom of expression. This is an extremely important dimension, obviously. But secondly, also focusing on those who appear to be overwhelmingly the main victims, perhaps three quarters of so of all targets of hate speech in social media, and those are minorities. And their human rights, their safety has to be protected and currently Essentially, we have nothing effective in place to do that. So while the, on the one hand, um, the pandemic of the body, which is the scourge of COVID-19, well, that's being addressed. And well, let's be optimistic, maybe more or less under control this year. But on the other hand, we have the hateful pandemic of the mind, which is hate speech. And that shows no sign of weakening whatsoever. On the contrary, hate speech in social media is spreading and increasing. The data we have, and unfortunately, we don't always have great, uh, greatly reliable data, but the data that we have shows that, in fact, it's not an exaggeration to say that the world's being flooded by hate speech in social media. And once again, you, there are ways to illustrate this. It might sound a bit anecdotal, but in reality, this is a trend that we are seeing in most parts of the world. Think back even just in the last few weeks, the massacre of Asian women in Atlanta, the continued physical attacks against Dalits and Sikhs in different parts of the world, mainly South Asia, but also other parts. The hate being spewed against Roma and Muslims in Europe and Sri Lanka, and India, and so on, and so on. Um, anti uh, the hates that we are seeing in parts of North America against Afro-Americans, uh, Afro against indigenous peoples, against Latinos, and so on, once again. One of the main messages of my report is that uh, we are failing to sufficiently address and acknowledge this second pandemic. But I really have to emphasize the point here. The pandemic that I'm referring to is the situation involving minorities because minorities are overwhelmingly the victims of hate and incitement to violence and discrimination. Let me repeat myself somewhat in order to be absolutely clear. It's anti-Semitism. It's anti-Islamophobia. It's anti-Gypsyism. It's the vitriol against Afro-Americans, against Asians, against Latinos, against Dalits, against, well, almost always, mainly, overwhelmingly, minorities. 
and we at the United Nations and in many countries may be failing by not naming and talking specifically about this evil, perhaps the greatest challenge that we, we will be having in this decade. The United Nations strategy and plan of action and guidance, for example, on, on combating hate speech does not refer to minorities being the predominant targets of hate speech. In fact, it hardly refers to minorities at all. It talks about migrants, talks about a few other indigenous peoples and a few others, but it's largely silent in relation to minorities. And yet, let me repeat myself again. It seems that in most countries, in most parts of the world where we do have some data, minorities are always the main targets, overwhelmingly so. And in many places, more than three quarters of all hate speech actually targets minorities. And so the reason that the perhaps rather unusual title of this lunchtime seminar um, is that we do not seem, or we seem to be failing to, to name, to name the challenge and the, and the evil that we have to tackle specifically. If you don't focus on those who are overwhelmingly targeted and vulnerable, as I said, perhaps more than three quarters of all cases, how can you effectively combat hate speech? Not focusing on the main targets of hate against minorities also means ignoring uh, that the severest forms of hate speech can lead to the worst instances of violence, atrocities, and even a genocide. And what I just said is a point which is perhaps not always fully appreciated. There, it, there's a qualitative difference here. The hate speech faced by minorities is qualitatively different from most other forms of hate in social media because the harm and violence it may, it may lead to can be far more worse. Remember the past. The Holocaust did not start with the gas chambers. It, it started with hate speech against a minority, hate speech that prepared, prepared the ground for atrocities later to be committed rather, well, we could almost say rather freely. And what we have in the case of hate speech in social media is that it can literally mean individuals will be pointed out, lined up, and massacred because they belong to targeted minorities. And don't believe this is an exaggeration either. This, in fact, has already occurred. If you, if, and if you needed to be reminded, think about the Rohingya in Myanmar, but we could also say that there have been incidents uh, involving the Muslim minority in Sri Lanka in others. And what all of these examples have in common, once again, they all involve minorities. There is also a, a gender dimension here that is, once again, perhaps not always fully appreciated. Women who belong to a despised, and I use the word uh, despised here intentionally, can easily become the targets of abuse, violence, and even sexual violence. They can be otherized and objectified, uh, especially in social media. And we've seen it with, for example, Dalit women, minority women, uh, Asian women, in, in, which seems in the incident in Atlanta and others, 
who become um, even greater uh, targets of vitriol, violence, brutality, and even in, in some countries, some parts of the world, rape. That's the direction we're heading now. And if I can focus on the case of the Rohingya uh, for just a moment, we have an almost perfect example of how for a significant period of time, vitriol and hate spewed from Facebook, through Facebook, against this minority specifically. And that this hate being spread by social media, by Facebook, there's, uh, it's clear, clearly been demonstrated this is the case, even Facebook admits to it now. Well, this uh, hate and vitriol essentially was unchecked, uh, using dehumanizing language, reducing members of this minority to what was portrayed as dangerous pests or animals. Uh, this normalized violence against them and um, made their persecution, their ethnic cleansing and perhaps even attempted genocide, according to some observers, and their eventual forced, um, forced to leave the country, Myanmar, in their hundreds or thousands for their own lives and safety possible. Do I have to remind you of the allegations of the people who were tortured, killed, burned inside their homes, and of women and girls who were raped. This is why evil has to be named. And we did not name the evil soon or strongly enough, which came from social media and targeted the Rohingya minority. Now, if you ask me, if the United Nations and other uh, defenders of the global human rights architecture did enough in relation to this scourge we're facing with hate speech and social media, I would have to say absolutely not. Mainly because we're still not naming sufficiently the evil which we are facing. I've, um, I've been working with a number of organizations to try to do what many governments around the world are not. Obtaining clear disaggregated data on who are the targets of hate speech. And some of these are, for example, and I'll name a few. Um, they're mentioned in my report to the UN Human Rights Council last week. Some of these uh, NGOs uh, are, are, for example, the South Asia Collective, AVAS, and the Equality Labs, which have tried to fill the gap, at least partially. And the image they show is deeply troubling, as indicated in my report. So please allow me just this once to quote from my own report to the United Nations Human Rights Council. Uh, and I quote, in Assam, India, Avaz recently conducted a study of 800 posts on Facebook and found a preponderance of hate speech against Bengali immigrants who are openly referred to as criminals, rapists, terrorists, pigs, and other dehumanizing terms. These posts had been shared almost 100,000 times, adding up to around 5.4 million views for, for violent hate speech. Another similar India-wide study of hate content on Facebook conducted by Equality Labs provided a breakdown of hate content, content on the platform. 
37% of the posts were Islamophobic, including anti-Rohingya material, posts referring to Love Jihad, and I assume you know what uh, Love Jihad is, uh, glorification of earlier instances of violence against Muslims and Islamophobic profanities, 16% constituted fake news, 13% targeted gender or sexuality, 13% targeted caste minorities, 40% of these targeted caste-based reservation, while the rest consisted of uh, slurs and other types of messages. And finally, 9% targeted other religious minorities." End of quote. I think that what these um, examples show is how overwhelmingly the evil of hate speech in, in social media uh, target mainly minorities. And yet, you wouldn't know it if you look at many events, including events organized by the United Nations in recent months. Yes, there are references to racism, as they should be. Racism, intolerance, discrimination, even sometimes uh, migrants, indigenous people, uh, or women. But I would say surprisingly, once again, very seldom do these actually name minorities. And almost never do they admit or acknowledge that the vast majority of cases of hate speech target minorities. So I apologize for focusing so much on hate speech and, and social media involving minorities. But as I said, as I said earlier, evil must be named. And unless we recognize the nature and the scale of hate speech, and that the vast overwhelming majority of those who are targeted are minorities, then we'll not be able to devise effective tools, measures, and approaches to face the pandemic of hate and xenophobia, which has now become the scourge uh, around us. And I, I warned last week that the time had come for a global approach and leadership from the United Nations to regulate hate speech social media. The time has come, I, I suggested, to take up the challenge of providing the guidance and drafting more precisely the human rights legal obligations that are needed to protect freedom of expression on one hand, but also the human rights of people, of those mainly, and, uh, and others of course, but, but those who actually can be harmed by hate speech and social media. At the same time, this kind of um, a global regulatory approach would hopefully limit what states can do in terms of overreach. Some of you, as some of you may know, uh, we do have situations in different parts of the world where human rights defenders themselves are prosecuted and persecuted by state officials for defending human rights, but particularly for defending the rights of minorities. So you have officials, instead of dealing with those members of the public, usually the majority, who, uh, who post hateful and even, even violent harangues, on YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram, instead of actually prosecuting those or dealing with those instances of hate speech, they go against or they uh, prosecute individuals who complain about hate speech. Some of you may find that that's not possible, that that's, that's not logical, but in fact, we do have quite a few allegations that this is occurring in a number of countries. Evil has to be named and it's evil that social media profit from hate, essentially as a result of the algorithms used in their business models.
And I, I think it's, well, let me be blunt here about what we're dealing with. Social media platforms, let's be straight, are amongst the most profitable private enterprises in the world today. And they have little or no financial li liability or responsibility. I've suggested that this needs to be addressed head on. And because, well, because no private business should be immune from the harm, from the consequences of the harm and violence that they directly contribute to and that they can unleash. And we've clearly seen in places like Myanmar and Sri Lanka, the United States, Cameroon and others, that this is needed, this needs to be addressed because currently in many countries, um, social media actually don't have the same li liabilities, the same uh, responsibilities as other more traditional forms of media. So what is needed? Uh, well, you need a global regulatory approach. I would urge, and that was my call to the United Nations Human Rights Council last week, we need specifically a legally binding treaty, which would tackle this anomaly of social media currently being not responsible for any of the harm uh, or damage that they cause. Of course, punishment is not the, it's not the solution, it's a tool. You need to have a more holistic approach. Social media also need to be encouraged and assisted, assisted rather, in voluntarily fully integrating international human rights standards in their work. And education and awareness raising are also essential tools to tackle the intolerance and the prejudices which are being absorbed in many societies. So quite frankly right now, they do not, they don't. Social media platforms also can uh, do almost anything they want right now. They're voluntarily saying, we'll try to be nice, but there's no guarantee to put, put it in a, a relatively light fashion. So quite frankly, social media platforms can and must lift up their game because they're not, they're not doing it. They've had, in my opinion, uh, a very long, and my report details other aspects, obviously. Social media have had in my opinion, a very long and profitable, profitable run until now. But content moderation systems and community standards and any oversight or appeal system that they might have in place must clearly commit to protecting the vulnerable and marginalized uh, groups in society, particularly minorities, and systematically integrate fully human rights uh, standards into their content policies and decision making, decision mechanisms, etc. So, despite um, some initial steps, and I, I must say, there's some change occurring with some of these uh, uh, platform owners. There is some goodwill that we can see. Uh, this is still usually not enough or not really significant. Most of them don't seem, and I'll be very blunt, and this is my my assessment at this point. Most social media platforms don't seem to truly understand what are the human rights that they need to integrate. And particularly, they don't seem to get to understand. They don't seem to, to get what are the human rights of minorities very specifically. But evil still has to be named. And I, let me repeat this message in a different way to drive home the message. And I'll get even a little bit philosophical here. Almost 900 years ago, 
the Muslim Andalusian philosopher and jurist, Ibn Rushd, known in the West as Averroes, wrote this, ignorance leads to fear, fear leads to hate, and hate leads to violence. And we are, we are seeing this today, as I indicate in my report. Reports widely confirm that hate speech online has been linked to a global increase in violence towards minorities, including mass shootings, lynchings, and ethnic cleansing. Hate pays, minorities are harmed. Social media platforms are hugely profitable while minorities experience increasingly hate and incitement to violence through the platforms. So what we're seeing is perhaps part of a, well, let's call it a human weakness under certain conditions. We live in uncertain times also, unsettled times, times of upheaval uh, when governments seem unable to solve difficult social, economic, and even environmental challenges made worse by a pandemic, which has completely changed how we live and interact in society. Unfortunately, these are conditions that are also conducive to the old phenomenon of scapegoating, of trying to find easy solutions to complex situations by doing what? By blaming someone else. But blaming someone else has throughout much of our history been to blame the other, the foreigner, the outsider, the minority. And uh, it's unfortunate to say this, but when members of a majority experience a shock, they sometimes blame a specific minority in order to make sense of the traumatic event and even increase their sense of power. In history, this has occurred quite frequently. It occurred more than 500 years ago during the plague known as the Black Death uh, during the Middle Ages in Europe that you have, for those of you in Europe. So Jews were scapegoated during the Black Death because Christians believed that they were poisoning wells and that this explained the death and misery overtaking them. So when facing the plague, Jews were easy as a minority. They were easy to blame because they were unpopular for the let's call them Christian majorities in most European countries. There were prejudices and hatred underlying anti-Semitism at the time, but it's also true that this was instrumentalized by some who wanted to use this underlying hatred to attack and profit with the attacks and pogroms against Jews in order to take their property and their goods. As we say in French, plus ça change, plus c'est pareil. What we're now seeing 500 years later is insecurity and old prejudices being used again to blame minorities. Uh, you might have heard about this, maybe not. Last year, there was a United States politician now elected to Congress who blamed fires in uh, California on secret Jewish space lasers. You heard right, secret Jewish space lasers instead of admitting that the world's climate is changing. Another example of blame the other, blame the minority, not yourself or trying to work to work out to solve difficult problems and admitting the complex processes in play. This person was elected to the US Congress. 
the world is seeing um, amidst the current COVID-19 pandemic, growing discrimination, hate speech against certain minorities and migrants, Asian, Muslim, Roma, people of Afro descent in the West, for example. In some Asian countries, immigrants and religious minorities have been blamed for the spread of the virus itself. And this is true in other parts of the world. We're seeing it, for example, in the United States where Asians are being blamed. Hate speech was not born with the pandemic, but it's clear from various sources that hate speech against minorities has been gaining ground in most, if not all parts of the world through the huge uh, impact of social media. So, and I find this very disturbing, uh, hate and xenophobia flowing from social media also pays uh, dividends for some politicians. This you've seen in Europe, I don't have to name the country, and there's other parts of the world where, where we can see this rather clearly. Politicians did not invent prejudice because using fear of others to further a political career is nothing new. But what is new is the scale and the speed that this is occurring right now and how some are exploiting it clearly for political gain that is destroying the lives of minorities in the process. Do I need to remind you how one politician, one well-known politician, initially was propelled to political leadership by calling Latinos rapists and criminals, and even recently helped fuel the explosion of anti-Asian sentiment by using the words such as Kung flu and the China virus. Do I need to remind of anyone of other uh, politicians blaming migrants, all of whom are minorities, by the way, for violence and crime in different parts and different countries in their countries, or politicians uh, using Islam or presenting Islam as a threat to Western societies and culture or societies in Myanmar and so on. So allow me to emphasize what we're dealing with by uh, quoting from a statement of the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres from the UN Strategy and Plan of Action on Hate Speech. And I quote, around the world, we are seeing a disturbing groundswell of xenophobia, racism and intolerance, including uh, rising anti-Semitism, anti-Muslim hatred and persecution of Christians. Social media and other forms of communication are being exploited as platforms for bigotry. Neo-Nazi and white supremacy movements are in the march. Public discourse is being weaponized for political gain with incendiary rhetoric that stigmatizes and dehumanizes minorities, migrants, refugees, women, and any so-called other." End of quote. Actually, Almost, not all, but almost all of his examples involve minorities. So to paraphrase the uh, Secretary General again, the evil we're facing is a tsunami of hate and xenophobia, particularly in social and other media, in social media, but to be more precise, and we need to be precise, to call it for what it is, it's a tsunami mainly engulfing minorities. So met, let me close because we need time to actually have a dialogue, have a chat and discussion. But let, let me just say a few words about what I'm, I'm doing about this as a special rapporteur. But as a special rapporteur, we as 
we are independent experts, but we have limited resources at our disposal and a rather awkward, or maybe it's better to say, rather interesting position as half in and half out of the United Nations stru structure. We're not quite, or not fully part of the UN because we're not actually officials of the UN or employed by the UN. Um, we, by that, I mean that we act as independent experts on the basis of a voluntary unpaid mandate as opposed to being a, a, a hired or retained as an official or employee. But mandates do include responsibilities. And amongst those responsibilities is to clarify and raise awareness of human rights issues which fall within our mandate. And what I've done is uh, attempted to use the tools that I have at my disposal to raise awareness of what we're fundamentally dealing with and which the international community has, I would say once again, largely ignored and been silent or shy about that the evil of hate speech in social media is mainly overwhelmingly a minority issue and that to effectively address this scourge, well, that requires to specifically identify it and to take measures that focuses on the main sources of hate speech and hate crimes in the world. And to repeat myself once again, that's to name and focus efforts on the vulnerability of minorities and the scale of how, uh, how much they're targeted. And in some countries also, particularly where minority women uh, who can be uh, doubly targeted as I think we saw last week in Atlanta. That's why in 2017, when I presented my first report after my election by the United Nations Human Rights Council, especially Robert Terre, um, I announced that hate speech, social media and minorities was one of my main, four main uh, priorities of my mandate. And as part of this thematic priority, the theme of the UN Forum on Minority Issues last year in 2020, uh, which was held in Geneva, was hate speech. And last year, um, we also held two regional forums on this very same topic, one for Asia Pacific and the other for Europe, focusing, of course, on the regional context and the conditions of these regions to have, uh, and also to make more accessible to minorities uh, and for them to have, be able to contribute more directly to my work uh, away from the hallowed grounds of Geneva. So we should have had last year, by the way, we should have had two regional forums, one for Africa also, uh, and one for the uh, Americas, but the pandemic last year took everyone by surprise and played havoc, obviously, with everyone's plans. So just to very briefly close here, last year's uh, forums led to my mandate being able to receive much valued inputs, insights, and recommendations. More, I think around 200 or more than 200, uh, which no, not only became part of my annual report, which I presented last week to the UN Human Rights Council on hate speech and social media, but also more directly helped, um, I would say, orient and enrich my report on this issue and leading amongst others to the call for an international treaty. And I should say to hopefully the drafting uh, this year of specific practical guidelines on how to identify the, treat, the three types of hate speech uh, that needs to be tackled 
and which mainly target minorities, you will have understood. Um, and these are actually, there are three levels of hate speech that really form part of the uh, international human rights obligations. Uh, first, well, there's the uh, obligations that involve the criminalization of the severest forms of hate speech. There is secondly, the prohibition of other less severe forms of hate speech that constitute uh, advocacy of national, racial or religious hatred amounting to incitement to discrimination, hostility or violence. And thirdly, there are, there are obligations in relation to other measures that are needed, more like admin, administrative measures, if you will, to counter other forms of hate speech that even though they may not be as severe as the first two, which I referred to, because of the light, of, in light of the possible harm that they can cause, they still have to be addressed. So we're hoping to, I'm hoping to um, have consultations and other forms of engagement in order to prepare uh, practical guidelines on what is, is hate speech, particularly hate speech that targets minority, because that's still a bit of a problem. Uh, because we need to understand that hate speech is not one, one giant monolith. There are actually different levels of hate speech, some which have to be regulated. One of the other tools of Special Rapporteur is shouting on the rooftops, if I can use that English expression, or rather to use the platforms at our disposal and high profile, as high profile experts, to attend various forums, even meetings such as this one, but also uh, hold or have uh, international and media events to raise awareness, issue warnings even, and call to action by naming the evil we're dealing with and in a sense shaming various actors for failing to admit the scale and nature of what's happening with hate speech and social media. Very honestly, um, I would say there seems to be a bit of a, a bit of denial here or reluctance to acknowledge what is occurring and that however, it might be whatever reason this is this occurs could be linked to minorities not being popular at some circles. Nevertheless, that's what I've been doing in the last year as special rapporteur, and what I've tried to highlight uh, last week by warning that we are failing to tackle the beast, the evil, the main source of most hate speech and violence, uh, in not admitting that minorities are the main victims and targets. And I also issued the call that this has to be prioritized. We have to prioritize measures to address what are most cases of hate speech in social media. And as I warned also last week, this is a global threat and danger. And therefore it requires global leadership in order to be effective, including a treaty providing much needed clarity on an international human rights centered approach and to cast aside also, and this needs to be addressed as a final comment on the, we need to cast aside the, what is effectively the immunity or impunity of social media from any kind of liability for the harm they cause. The time has come for us to actually evolve and directly address the challenge that constitutes hate speech in social media. Ladies and gentlemen, mesdames et messieurs, that's it. Thank you very much, Dr. Deveren, for taking the time to speak with us today. 
you have left us with much to consider. It has been great to hear more about the report, as well as the work you have been doing over the last year as Special Rapporteur. The issues you have raised regarding the expansiveness of hate speech on social media in tandem with the lack of legal responsibility and regulatory framework is particularly interesting, especially in terms of next steps moving forward. And to our listeners today, thank you to all of you who have tuned into our podcast. Once again, I'm Kelsey Rood, and this has been the Human Rights Podcast, hosted by the Irish Centre for Human Rights. Thanks for listening.